Hello, this is Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. I am Dr. Robert Stacy, provost here at St. Constantine, and today I am joined by Dr. John Mark Reynolds, our president. I'm here. We're always I'm delighted not, that you are. I'm not in a box. I'm not with a fox. I'm here. It's, are we discussing Dr. Seuss today? Uh, you know, Dr. Seuss is applicable to almost any topic, so we can surely work him in. We, we might do that. Sure. It's, it's a heavy topic today. Again, as uh, the last time we met, we were talking about Frankenstein. We've got some good material today, and we've invited a guest to help us talk about it. Please. Dr. Timothy Bartell is with us. Hello. It's fun to have fun, but you have to know how, in the words of Dr. Seuss. Ooh. Why do you have to know how to have fun? Well, the cat says it, just as, about, just as he's about to fall over and drop the fish and the bull and the kite. So I'm not sure that the cat knows how to have fun, <laughs> but it, it, it seems like a do as I hey, say, not as I do. Dropping all that stuff was fun. It's true. It's true, though the fish doesn't think so. Uh, the fish is a fuddy-duddy. It's so, true. So here's the deal. We're going to talk about college, how to choose a college, why the St. Constantine School is partly a college, right, it's part of right. what we do, why in the world we would do that. But I'll, I'll say this, here's one reason we would do it. There are lots of things we do that we think we can do instinctively that we should think about. So a, an example of this is having fun. Why think you'd be good at that just naturally? I mean, you know what you think is fun, but right, we also know right. we make mistakes about that all the time. Deeper level, people are always saying, think for yourself. Okay, you should. Let's all agree you should think for yourself, unless you're bad at it, in which case you should quit thinking for yourself. And I don't see any reason to believe that thinking for yourself is something you're just born able to do well. I, right. Anybody right. can do it, but can you do it well? And I think that's what college is for, to teach you to think for yourself well but why Robert Stacy, yeah. the St. Constantine School? If you already knew how to do it, <laughs> you wouldn't yeah. need You college, wouldn't need, right? so yeah. probably most people, it's a horrible thing to say in one way, shouldn't think for themselves because they're so bad at it. They should find really clever people who are moral that would just, hey, I've really thought about this issue, do this, and then just repeat what they did if they're not going to put in the time to think well for themselves. Uh, that doesn't mean educated people and experts are any more likely to think well. It just means you should think well. What's the difference, Bob? Thinking well, it, it, here's the risk we run. I think that most people do think they think well, right? Right. And especially we live in a time and a culture where you know every opinion is held to be equal to every other, no matter what it is, right? Uh, unless maybe you are, you know, I don't know, intolerant. Then that's bad. But everything right. else is all kind of equal, no matter what it is. So how do, you, how do you establish, let's say, a institution of higher education built on the notion that there are better and worse kinds of thinking in a culture where many people don't observe the difference? So let's start by saying there aren't better opinions. All opinions are created equal. They're opinions. The thing with opinions is some of them are closer to reality and some of them are further away from reality. So suppose recently someone said, my social group, my racial group, is the only group that's contributed to world civilization. Tim and I were talking to someone about that. Yeah. We're offended by that, not because he doesn't have a right to that kind of opinion. He, it's his opinion. He does have a right to say it. And we shouldn't be offended with it because we don't like it. I don't like it, but there are things that are true that I don't like. We should be offended with it because it's false. And it narrows his world. And he wouldn't be able to defend it using good thinking. So all opinions are created equal in the sense that they're your opinion and I have my opinion. 
The question is, how much do they cohere with reality? Or how much can you defend them in a rational way? I have right. no, I, babies right. can't do that. One-year-olds can't do that. Not all educated people can do that. So shouldn't we learn how to do that? Sure, sure. And, so, and, I, and I think I'd, I'd want to add to that. I've been thinking a lot recently about how internet speak, hashtags, memes, etc., influence the form of our speech. So it seems like I could have a true opinion, but I could say it in such a way that's so vague or using language that's at such a, say, third grade level, if I'm a 30-year-old man and I'm speaking at a third grade level, you've talked about this before yeah. in, in regards to trying to articulate feelings and states of emotions about romance. It seems like a college education can help us with the form of our language to pick the right words in the right order, as Coleridge said, poetry is the best words in the best order. We can pick better words in better order as we come closer to truth. And I think part of articulating the truth isn't just saying what is true, but saying it in a way that is elegant, that is beautiful, that is well-formed and informed by the best way that people have said it in the past. So I'm a parent. Why would I send my kid to the St. Constantine School? I think here's a reason that Tim just articulated. We want to be a school that doesn't just teach a job skill, because notice teaching a job skill is important, but that doesn't necessarily teach you to think well. You could become a wonderful medical doctor and actually not reason very well. You, you know all the facts, you know how to fix the thing you're fixing, but your reasoning skills are poor because you don't think well. Yeah. But notice and maybe if, then yeah. dangerous to your patient in a certain sense. Yes, that's right. Or a bad person. Right, right. You know, not a, becoming a medical doctor doesn't make you a good person. Right. And so part of thinking well is hopefully becoming a better person. How do we do this? How do we teach people to think well and become a better person? Clearly, Rice down the street would be a better place to go to learn engineering. How are we going to go about teaching people to think well and to be noble, to be good people? which I take it is the project of a liberal arts college. How, do we, how, how are we going to do that? Uh, Tim, if you come and have class with Dr. Bartell, sure. Uh, you don't have a huge lab like Rice or a huge no. library. How are you going to go about that? Uh, well, I think that one of the beautiful things about getting a liberal education is the, is the curriculum, say, is pretty freely available to anyone who wants it. It's the great books of the world. And so if you come to my class, I've just been uh, designing the writing tutorials. We're going to sit down and talk about how Aristotle thought humans worked when it came to why we read and write, hmm. why we enjoy poetry, why we want to go sit and watch a play. So Aristotle, in thinking well and articulating well, wants to take us back to questions like, what kind of beings are we as humans? And so I think we would start there. We would start in Genesis. What kind of beings does Genesis say God made us to be? And we'd talk about that and try and understand it, uh, not just at a, oh, this is something that someone thought long ago, but this is something that has shaped and continues to shape thinkers, good thinkers, from time immemorial to today, and hopefully on into the future, ad infinitum. Yeah, I think, Bob, a lot of people would say, man, you guys are full of it. I sent my kid to college, and they came back full of bad opinions or a lot of people on TV went to college and are supposedly really smart and they say super dumb things mm -hmm. that they can't defend. Isn't, isn't, I, I'd like you to respond to that. I mean, how are we gonna be different? Yeah, so that's, I mean, you, you've touched on something very near to my heart, which is that uh, you know, higher education in America, and really most of the West, frankly, it's just, it's not what it used to be. 
at this point, we live in an age where having been to college is not necessarily proof positive of anything. Mm. Uh, you used to be able to assume that you know a, a college graduate would have you know a certain set of basic skills, would have engaged certain questions, would have reflective, thoughtful opinions, maybe right, maybe wrong, but would have thought about certain important fundamental questions about you know the state of man and and, and his position on earth and so forth. Now, though, that is just no longer the case. And so colleges are more like a sort of a smorgasbord where one kind of dips in and takes what one wants, as if at 18 somehow you are now in a position to know exactly what your meal should be at that you know, education smorgasbord. What we, I think, can do differently is, first of all, Tim mentioned the curriculum, right? We know what the great books are, right? We know what the important questions are. Uh, we don't have to leave this to guesswork. We don't have to you know, cross our fingers and hope students choose well so that we can have the right discussion someday. We can put together a curriculum that it's, it's classical in nature. It's, you know, we're not making this up, right? We are, we are drawing on a tradition that is much older than we are. Much, you know, it's, it's established. We know what it does. We know how effective it is. And then we get to use that curriculum uh, to help students Again, engage those questions in, in thoughtful discussion, not just, not just you know, read the occasional book, if they even do that in some colleges these days, right? But, but to wrestle with it, right? Here's this great author who wrote mm -hmm. this great book. What makes it great? You know, what kind of questions has this author put on the table for us that it's worth our time? So we're in an orthodox Christian college program connected to the King's College, an evangelical school in New York City. I think one good thing about a real college education is that's the perspective we're coming from. We're mostly reading books. I mean, we're teaching in English, so we pick books that come from, as much as possible, we actually prefer books that are written in English. Right. We have to start with some translations, but that have shaped the English-speaking world. For good or bad, there is a particular list of books that did that and others that didn't. And then the second thing is we're coming from an Orthodox Christian tradition, so we're looking for books that have shaped that tradition because that's what we think is true, the way to look at the world. And then the third thing that we sort of look at is to say, we live in the United States, the school is located in the United States, the United States isn't perfect, there are things we have to confront in the United States, but that's our location, so what shaped the United States? Now, we'll get some international students and we should get their input, but we are, after all, an American school located in the U.S. with overwhelmingly American students. Sure. So we pick those books, but notice that if we use them to learn to think well, it isn't because we think those are the only good books in the world or the right. only, right. you could actually reject everything that we just said and not reject it all and just say, oh, now I'm gonna start in the French tradition or uh, our friend Thomas Lizo, who works at another school, start in the Spanish tradition and move forward. The Chinese, very good friend online who is working on a great books curriculum in Chinese. Totally different reading list because he's asking, I'm Chinese, I'm a Christian, and I live in China. Mm -hmm. So what would the great books right, be? Right, right. Uh, different list, yeah. but notice, I would argue, same program. That's right, addressing the same question. Yeah, and we, we've even talked about uh, looking at Chinese literature and looking at the Koran, for instance. One of, one of the most interesting things that I've come across in, in looking at the curriculum for the middle of the first millennium AD is looking at the conversation that St. John of Damascus is having with the Muslims in 700s Middle East. Uh, he's writing and dialoguing and quoting Muhammad and asking questions about why this, why that in the Quran, and then articulating his Middle Eastern Christian theological perspective, often with, with great fervor. Uh, so there are conversations going on that 
all around the world in great books that sometimes I think if we if we come from just a Western European perspective, we don't always see uh, right. coming from the Orthodox perspective, things are happening in the Middle East that are exciting that we can often not see if we're not looking at that part of the world. We'd fail to understand our own culture then, because yes. I, just to give one quick example, Thomas Aquinas in many ways can be seen as reacting to you know, the Islamic revolution that was happening sure. in the Islamic world. There's a kind of renaissance happening there, and he's speaking to it. If you don't know that, then you're going to miss part of his message. And he's, he's ours. In a that's sense. right. And, and of course, again, what you're trying to produce in a world that's getting ever smaller is someone who understands the world they grew up in so that they can both live in it comfortably and critically. And of course, in any big country like the United States, there's 330 million people, you have people who have been disaffected from that tradition, who don't fit well in it. So part of that job is critique to say, this is what's wrong with home. This is where home's messed up. Loop back around, why here? And there are schools that do this. Uh, Tori Honors Institute at Biola, a couple of us were involved in that. Bob, you helped found uh, a Great Books College program, and you worked at another decent Great Books College program at the time. Why another one? First of all, I'm not sure that geographically speaking, it doesn't hurt to have more than one in a country the size of the United States. <laughs> there right? are so, 330 yeah, million. So. Right, but we can't serve the entire audience with any one of those schools. Uh, so there's that. So, you know, it's just more accessible to more people that way. But that doesn't, ex that doesn't answer the question why Houston you know, right now. Houston is a dynamic city. It's in many ways, you, you've said this in other venues before, it's really in many ways the city of the 21st century. Right. It's a, it's a dynamic heart of America right now and probably will be for the next few generations. And we intentionally, and I mean we intentionally, because I first place I called was the King's College in New York City to hook up with them. And I think President Thornberry there said to me, what is it, cooperate as much as possible mm -hmm. with everyone? But why New York City? Because if you took Houston as a dynamic 21st century city and you take New York as New York, need I say more, uh, it's been so dominant globally, and you threw in Los Angeles, you've probably covered uh, a lot of what's going on in the U.S. Sure, sure. For good and bad. And that doesn't mean there aren't things going on in West Virginia yeah. that shouldn't be attended to. But I can tell you this, West Virginia gets impacted way more by what goes on in New York and Houston and LA than LA gets impacted by West Virginia. That may not be fair, I'm sorry about that. Sure. I love West Virginia. Right. More blue grass, please. You know, more quilting from people like my grandmother. That's not what happens. Right. And so if you're right. West Virginian just out of self-defense, you have to be at this kind of place to know what's going to be right. coming. And if a city like Houston, or maybe the city, of Houston is in a position to have such influence in America in the generation or two to come, then we certainly want to be able to have an influence on that city to have that influence on that nation. So it's partly geography. What else? Why here? You describe college choices for parents as what? Oh, they're, they're almost, I mean, they're, they're so numerous. It's dizzying, right? How right. does a parent make that choice? There are what, a, something like 4,000 colleges and universities in America. On some level, you know, if you get a catalog from all of them, that's just overwhelming. Uh, on the other hand, I would say this though, it turns out that for the most part, there's not a lot of difference between most of them. Right. You know, what you get at generic state university over here is not much different than when you get at generic state university over there. Or even a generic Christian college with I'm Bible classes so. thrown in. Right, still kind of the same curriculum. Yeah, uh, mostly lecture centered, mostly not about, I, I will say this, 
you don't come to the St. Constantine College program because when you get done, you will inherently already be a medical doctor. Right. But what we will do is get you ready to become a very good doctor. And you'll go somewhere else to do that. That's not what we're going to do. I, I'll say a second reason, if I were a parent or a student, you ought to be able to finish our program without any debt. We're $12,000 a year. Right. You work hard over the summer. You can do you that. You can do part-time job. You can pay that, right? Yeah, and I, well, one of the things that, that I think makes many colleges similar to one another is that often at the lowest level of general education, I've done my time as an adjunct uh, teaching Composition 101 at several different colleges yes. now. They blend together and no one wants to teach those classes. There is no more haggard look in the eyes of any uh, position right. in right. a college than the Comp 101 professor right. who has a stack of 120 yeah. essays to grade we tonight. We know this because the tenured professor never teaches that Sure, yes, yeah. sure. That's exactly right. So one of the exciting things about doing this here as a great books curriculum, as a focus on general ed, which we're talking about right now and, and working on, I want Composition 101 to be the most exciting class you can take right, and, and right, the best right. it can be taught. We don't hire a bunch of adjuncts and push off all the classes we don't want on them. We try to make these general education classes really educating, mm -hmm. really, really powerful in guiding students to be educated about the world in general, about thought in general, about history in general. I, I think the other decision people have to make, and I'm curious to know how you guys would comment before we wrap it up, is I have a belief that it's generally, unless you're going to become a monk or something, going off into a bubble and living an artificial life that you're not going to live the rest of your life, right, right. better have a strong motive behind it. Like you go to basic training because you're getting ready for battle, right. which is itself a weird yeah. world. That, it's transforming you. Yeah, right, so that you right. can live in a weird world. Yeah. I want to say some of other colleges, in fact, a standard thing for a college to say mm -hmm. is, we'll give you the college experience. Right. And it's worth saying right. that that's an experience nobody had prior to 1945, what mm -hmm. Americans call a typical college experience, rah-rah, football, coonskin, yeah. coats, Keggers, yeah. uh, you know, pennants, go right. team on yeah. canes, right? right? I think that's right. what we were saying. That's a new model. And most of the world never gets that, including right. some of our best competitors. And most Americans still don't get that experience. I think the person who chooses the St. Constantine School has chosen an educational experience that's intense, but there's no bubble. You're going to live a regular life, and we're right. going to teach you how to do it. Right. We, you're not going to live on, in a sense, we'll have housing, but you won't live on a campus that's cut off from the rest of the city. And even a very fine Ivy League-type school can end up being a walled fortress. Right. I think of right. USC in Southern mm -hmm. California, a walled fortress yeah. away from the community where they almost have outreach right, to their next-door right. neighbors. Yeah, yeah. That's just not going to be us, and we're going to be know. intentionally small. And if you think your social life is going to be all about hanging out with your cool college friends, I mean, what's wrong with you? How are you going to have a social life after four years are over? Yeah. Your social life is mostly going to be people, family, right, right. church, work, and you'll have an intense educational experience to teach you to read well, write well, think well, and be numerate. Can you respond to that? It's just a bummer. Like, oh, I wanted this four-year vacation and I'm not going to get it. You know, I think if you had told me this uh, my senior year of college, like we're, we're going to design a college where there's not the college bubble, I would have, I would have been sad and said, oh, no. But, but you know what? I've, I've been out of college now a little over a decade. I wish that I had learned sooner 
how to read difficult books, how to write. I'm, I read and write as a profession and then teach what I'm reading and writing about. And are I a published poet, so. Yeah, yeah, I, I write and publish and, um, and I know a lot of writers who publish and struggle to balance their, their church life, their family life, their work life with writing. And I think partly that's because they learn to write in that bubble. They right. learn to you know, stay up all night you know, drinking Mountain Dews till three or four in the morning writing. And then when they had a full-time job and also wanted to pursue their vocation of writing and also just got married, they realized, I didn't, I didn't learn how to do this. Yeah, everyone who joins the Army is getting ready for battle, mm -hmm. and so everyone goes to boot camp. Sure. Now, you may not go to battle because you're lucky enough to live in a peacetime world. That would have been the generation, my generation, right. mostly didn't go to battle. I didn't even have to, I wasn't drafted because it was a peacetime world. I didn't have to volunteer. They weren't looking for people desperately. But if you're in the Army, you have to expect to go to battle. So everyone goes to boot camp. Here's my fear. College was designed in some ways to produce more college professors. But almost no one's going to become a college professor. So what you pick up are the academic skills, the crafts of the trade, as if everyone's going to grow up to teach engineering at college and mm -hmm. not go be an engineer. Mm -hmm. Or they're going to be a nurse at a college, not go to a hospital right. and be a nurse. Stay in the bubble, as it were. So, yeah, I think breaking down the bubble is actually really important because most people I know who are unhappy are unhappy in their marriage. They're not unhappy because they didn't, you know, go to the football game at Old State U. Mm -hmm. And if only they could go again, they'd be happy. No, they yeah. didn't learn how to be a happily married person. There was no training in that. And how could there be a college? College isn't set up for you to be married. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas at the St. Constantine School, we would be. It wouldn't matter at all. Yeah, it's not set up to be, in that sense, a real life at all. Yeah. One of the things that I like to sometimes uh, discuss when I'm meeting with parents and, and prospective students, especially among Christians, you know, I drop the name C.S. Lewis. Ever, most folks know who C.S. Lewis is, right? He, he writes novels that we enjoy, uh, that get made into movies we watch, etc. Many who know C.S. Lewis, many know that he was actually a university professor himself. Mm. I think what many don't know, though, is his professorship, his life at the university was much different than what we see today among professors of, of our time. So did C.S. Lewis deliver lectures to you know, a hall of four or 500 students three days a week? Did he have his teaching assistant grade the exams they took at the end of the semester? No, that, was a comp that, that would have been unknown to him and his colleagues. It wasn't just him, right? Was, that's not how Oxford and similar fine institutions, that's not how they did education. C.S. Lewis would have spent many hours a week meeting privately with students. He would sit down with one or two. They would, they would discuss books that had, the student had been reading. They would, uh, he would hear as the student would, would, would read portions of an essay he's been working on. They would, they would craft that together. The student was, in a sense, the, 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 for these, the term tutor, right, to describe that relationship. The, the, the professor becomes the tutor of that one student. That professor knows that student, right? That professor understands what this student needs versus the next one who's coming in in an hour. In the lecture hall of 500, right, you can't make that distinction, right? You used to deliver the one lecture to all of them, right. hope it sticks, right? right? That Oxford style, it allows professors and students to understand one another, to, in a sense, really dig deeper and understand better than you could possibly get 
and sort of in the, the, the sort of the contemporary university. So what you're saying is we're getting a real university experience. That's right. So that's exactly this yeah. is the model that we use here at St. Constantine. It's, uh, you know, we don't have a 500 person lecture hall. I don't think we will ever have a 500 person lecture hall. No, the goal is never to have 500. No, college that's students. too much, right? Yeah. Now how can you have be able to sort of build human size relationships, right? If this education is going to be meaningful when you leave this place, right? If it's not going to be a bubble. You have to be able to develop real relationships, not the kind that are you know phony and don't apply outside of here. Before people go crazy, the generation that invented the college we go to now went to colleges of a few thousand, mm -hmm. and you know they were able to do science and everything else. But what happened is it's cheaper to centralize, and back when you had to have a library, they let the school of my dad's state school of let's say three or four thousand. That was a state university swell to 30,000 because it's cheaper to kind of house everybody right, right. in giant bubbles. Now, they got to do some things, lab science and things, that we won't be able to do, that the old schools couldn't do, and we wouldn't be a good choice for that student. Sure. You lost something when you went from State U being 3K. You lost Ronald Reagan's ability to go to Eureka College, try out for the football team, play, be in the theater, and get an economics degree. Mm -hmm. And right. look at his varied career. Think of the three things I just said. His athletic prowess helped him. He became a sportscaster for a little bit during the Depression to do radio. His acting that he did at the college, because it was a tiny college and right. everybody male mm -hmm. had to do a little bit of acting, yeah. made him a movie star. And then the third thing is that economics degree put in his head right. the political bug that made him governor of California and president of the United States. Mm -hmm. You can't do that at Giant U. They don't need you. Somebody's there who's yeah. better at you than at everything. Nobody's job in life consists of sitting in a pool with a large number of people listening to some sage pontificate. That's preparation for nothing useful. Right. It would be as if we all went to boot camp as if we were going to go to battle when 99% of us never went to battle. What people are doing now is preparing to become American college teachers, and almost no one's going to become an American right. college right. teacher. Well, thank you. Great discussion. This has been Constantinople, a podcast of the St. Constantine School. Thank you all for listening.